Welcome to The Flipside with Her Black Book, a podcast powered by Samsung Galaxy and presented by Pop Sugar Australia. I'm Julie Stavanya. And I'm Sally Sassi. Together, we're the founders of premium shopping and discovery app, Her Black Book, where you can find a curation of exclusive deals, cashback promotions, and new arrival alerts from all your favorite brands. Our app, Her Black Book, is available for download on iOS and Android now. Every Thursday, we'll be in your ears delivering honest, insightful interviews and action-driven conversations with our diverse lineup of influential guests across business, brands, and technology. We are lifting the lid on the thrills and spills that come with building and working within a tech-driven business. At the end of each episode, we'll deliver our listeners a very special exclusive offer from our Her Black Book brand partners. Lucy Moore and Michelle Battersby are the co-founders of Sunroom, the creator app where women and non-binary people make money without being judged. After identifying a gap in the creator economy, Lucy, who used to be lead designer at Hinge, sought out Michelle, who rolled Bumble out to the APAC market, and together they took Sunroom from concept to creation. On the app, creators make money by charging their audiences a monthly subscription in exchange for exclusive content. Almost anything goes on Sunroom. It's designed to support shameless, unfiltered self-expression. Sunroom co-founders Lucy and Michelle join us now from L.A., Hello. Hey, hey, thanks for having us. All right, let's jump into some questions. So you only launched Sunroom recently. What has the journey been like so far? We actually launched it on the 2nd of February this year. Ah. So we've been live in the market for almost seven months now. Um, and it's wild. There's been a lot of changes. And I think that's been one of the most surprising things, how much our product has evolved and how many assumptions we had at the beginning that were wrong and how many like new discoveries and insights we've made after having real users on our app. I I think the journey has been honestly it's been a whirlwind. Like we have just been in this like very intense process of talking to our users, talking to our creators, having constant conversations with them to understand like how the product is for them, taking that back to um, I guess the product drawing board and figuring out like what changes we need to make, what iterations we need to make, what new features we might need to build and ship, and then like doing that as quickly as we can so that we can get the product to a state that that works for most people. I think you hit the nail on the head. I would just add that like how the product looked six months ago is wildly different to how it looks now, which is crazy to think about. And it's also just mind-blowing that it has only been yeah, nearly seven months. Um, but one of the other big things that I think has changed for us is like the kind of creator that we thought, you know, Sunroom would initially be for is very different to the kind of creator that we're seeing like naturally gravitate to the app at the moment, um, which is exciting. But yeah, it just means that we need to be agile and stay on our toes. When you talk about um, the differences in, over that six month period and that it's changed wildly, what are some of those differences? What did you launch with and how has it evolved now? Can you share that? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So our go-to-market strategy was one that, like, I still feel really passionately about. And, like, Lucy and I were speaking about it 
this morning um, and that it was it was the right thing to do, but maybe the people like were, weren't quite right and weren't actually the sorts of people that were going to end up using Sunroom. So our go-to-market strategy involved us launching with 100 founding creators and we targeted people that were that were great, like they were credible, they had a master following, um, they had cult-like audiences, they aligned with the brands, like ticking every, every box that, you know, you'd look for when launching a product. But we quickly realized that um, it's it's pretty hard to, to manage an, an audience online. Like it's a job, you're basically running a small business, you need to have the time, put in the work and really want to connect with the people that are there to support you. And that has actually ended up favoring more micro um, creators uh, and people specifically who might not be the kinds of people that get brand deals all the time, but they've got an audience there. They're just not in the, you know, um, they're not in the realm of, of brands. So they don't get those opportunities to monetize their audience all that often. So pulling an audience over to Sunroom and connecting with them there um, is really worth it for them. So that's been um, an interesting insight. But um, so I was just going to jump in there, Michonne, just I think that's one of the things when you talk about like, you know, having to shift and change and often that can really set back certain founders. They kind of come in with a game plan ready to execute. And when your audience doesn't connect or it, or it leads you down another path, you know, the great founders are the ones that can pivot and become really agile and really do listen to what the audience is after. Um, and I think that's that's really great to hear that you both were able to um, manoeuvre so quickly. As you said, it's only been seven months. So to be able to kind of shift direction in such a short time frame is, is pretty incredible. I was just going to tack on like some of the major product changes or like how the product looks different than it did six or seven months ago. Um, and I think one of the major things is the discovery feed. When we first went live, there were so many random posts in the discovery feed. Creators got to choose whether they made something for their members or made something for everybody. And it actually didn't do anybody any favors. I think a lot of creators interpreted Sunroom as a social network and then so began making all of their posts free and they were just trying to get all their posts to the discovery feed. So we rejigged what we, how we make suggestions in the mm. discovery feed. We introduced um, what we call a profile post, which is like a really short, snappy, almost like trailer for every creator's account. So instead of looking through random posts in the discovery feed, you look through somebody's trailer and then navigate to their profile. But I think it's a series of little changes like that. Like the app looks very different for creators too. We had to add in a lot of guardrails and a lot of guidance and a lot of education and like hand-holding, taking creators through the whole onboarding journey, educating them on how to promote what sort of posts people would be interested in seeing, how to like brand their account, how to sell because it was like the first time a lot of creators have, have sold content before. Um, those are some of the, the top things I'd say. That is an enormous amount of development already, you know, having to build all of those things in, which probably weren't in your initial roadmap, delays all of those other things that no doubt you're planning to do, right? So I'd love to just get to understand what does your team look like? And Lucy, you are, you know, the the tech uh, brains behind this. Is that right? Is that how you've been dubbed? Do, are you an actual, do you code? I'm not an engineer, but I've had to become <laughs> very, very technical yeah. over the last two years. I'm a product designer yep. by trade, um, and I think naturally product designers have to know how to speak with engineers and how to how to brief products 
to engineers. Can I just interject, for a lot of our listeners, when they hear product designer, if they're not in the tech field, they might not actually understand what that means, right? Because if you're not in the, the field, a product is like a product that you could buy. But in the tech space, when we say a product designer, you're talking about the actual the interface, the technological interface, the UX, etc. right? So you design what it looks like, how it interacts, um, the user experience, right? That's what we're talking about. Yeah, that's right. Um, and I think at the moment, because we're such a small team, my responsibility also bleeds into product management or just being the person responsible for figuring out like what the product should be. And that's why there are so many conversations and user interviews and interviews with our creators involved in my job at the moment as well. Um, but as for the profile or the makeup of our team, we have a really small team, which we kind of like. And I think it's important when you're a company of this stage and still figuring things out to be really small and nimble because it means you can move faster. How many are there? There are nine of us. I remember um, just before you launched on Instagram, there was a picture and it looked like almost like a college house where you were all sitting there with your laptops and it was almost like the old school startup life where, you know, all of the girls were around the couch and you guys were obviously trying to get um, everything up to the app store to get approved. Um, and I remember, is that still the same team that you have now? The team has changed a little bit, mm-hmm. and I can go into that if it's Yeah, I mean, why not? I mean, it's, it's actually quite, you know, complicated getting the right fit. And especially when you're first starting a business and you're not sure exactly what you need to build, um, you know, there are all sorts of competing things that you need, and you're making assumptions. It's a little bit like getting product market fit for the product. You need almost like team fit, you know. Startup life is not for everyone too. Now, did everyone that you initially brought on, were they from startup backgrounds? How was that journey? A lot of our team have worked on startups, but some of the people that we brought on had only ever worked at larger companies um, and maybe weren't familiar or used to the sort of pace or the style of communication or the way we make decisions. Um, So I would say, yeah, not everyone was the right fit, but I think the team we have now um, are working really, really well together. Yeah, and we get that. We're we're the same. You know, we've obviously got our startup, which we launched in November, and it's a very small team. But the same thing is that it's a different pace. Sometimes people like structure and, you know, to have um, certain guidelines in place. But when you're working for a startup that has no red tape, sometimes being that real fast pace moving where you might make a decision one day and you might backflip the next day um, is not for everybody. It's not for the faint-hearted, that's for sure. When you have to be, you know, like really careful with resources, you need to be opportunistic is, I think, our point of view. You need to be willing to, you know, kind of pivot so quickly. And, and I think that's definitely a massive difference between, you know, much more mature companies, even if they're startups, but they're, you know, kind of five-year-old, six-year-old, eight-year-old startups. They have plans for a year, you know, when you're starting something, you really, you've got your long-term plans, but things could change, you know, weekly. So um, we, we definitely feel that uh, the difficulty in getting people who know what they're getting themselves in for. Now, talking about getting, you know, knowing what you're in for, how do you guys feel about being founders? Because sometimes becoming a founder is also a very similar journey. Oh, I, I don't feel like I was prepared for, for what, we're, what we're dealing <laughs> no, with right no. now. I think I thought that, you know, my, my time at Bumble um, would have given me exposure to what this would be like. And similarly, you know, working at Kick, being closer to the founders. But yeah, this is 
Lucy shared a tweet like back at the start, which said that um, founding a tech startup is like being slapped in the face with a fry pan every single day and just having to get used to it. And I genuinely feel like that has just remained true. Like it's, it's so up and down. There's, there's so many highs and lows, like the winds feel amazing. The losses hit you hard. Um, You just have to stay laser, laser focused. Um, And there's, there's definitely a, a different element of pressure um, associated with it when it is yours. And I also mm. think that pressure is almost amplified again when, like, you've come from Bumble or Hinge and, like, people expect these big things of you. Um, and it's like you need to live up to these expectations, which maybe you're putting on yourself, but you just have to, yeah, like, rise to the challenge and keep going. So with that often comes imposter syndrome, right? So um, sometimes you you are in a position, you absolutely nailed it, and then you go and start your own company, and next thing you know, you're met with imposter syndrome. Did either of you face that? And, you know, do you still? Uh, yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, most most recently I've been feeling it with regard to my leadership, like, um, am I the, you know, am I inspiring people in the right way? Do I, am I a natural leader? Am I able to get people to you know, move in the right direction at the same time? Uh, has been, yeah, a lot of like my insecurities recently. I can absolutely feel that one. Like when we first started our previous company, Style Runner, which is an e-commerce retailer, it's now 10 years old. So 10 years ago, uh, I had never actually been a manager. I'd really worked independently. Um, I'd run departments, but very small departments. And then all of a sudden we were building this team and it was actually very fast growing. So before we knew it, we had, you know, 10 people, 15 people, 30 people. And I'd never been a manager before. Now you needed to learn to lead at the same time as managing all of those other pressures. It's... um. We've spoken about the pressure too. So there's leading in like an everyday, you know, kind of things are going well. There's a different type of pressure when you're actually leading in an unknown environment, you know. Even there's your own uh, business that you're managing and some of those are within your control, but then you've got the external environment too, right, which is totally out of your control. So you might be sharing this narrative with your team about where things are going and here's the game plan. And then all of a sudden, tech winter is here. And so for our listeners who don't know what we mean by that, we're talking about the funding environment. So when there's a lot of, you know, kind of um, cash and and people are investing really buoyantly, um, it's a lot easier to get funding. But every now and then, every five or seven years or so, you go into this period where everyone gets really conservative. They preserve a lot of their cash. uh, Therefore, it's really, it's much harder to get capital and it also impacts your valuations and therefore everything just gets 10 times harder, right? So not only are we going down this journey of building something in incredibly difficult already. Uh, but now we're up against that. How do you guys um, feel about that? Have you come across it yet? Do you, you know, are, are you thinking about it in your near-term horizon? Yeah. I mean, I spend a lot of time on tech Twitter. So as soon as there was like the initial rumblings of a recession and like all the implications on the venture capital markets and on startup fundraising and the rest of it, I was like, okay, we need to think about this. And we, um, yeah, we, we spoke to the team and let them know like some new ways that we were going to approach the business because of the changing environment. We did um, make a concerted effort to cut costs. We moved out of our office that was sort of like an unnecessary expense. Um, we did have to reduce the team a little bit. So like a sort of, um, I guess you could call it a skeleton team. We stopped working with our PR agency and some, some other contractors 
Paul Graham refers to it as cockroaching, like becoming a cockroach, which I <laughs> really kind of love. But it's like you we've just become like a little more frugal and a little mm. more um, focused. Like we're like, okay, we need to move these metrics and we know we have to get them to this yeah. point to either become profitable or to be eligible for a new fundraising around. Speaking of fundraising, your first um, fundraise, you actually did pre-launch. So it was based off of a concept. Is that right, Lucy? And how, yeah. how do you go about that for people who normally raise post-launch? Like, give us some insight in regards to being able to pitch from an idea. Yeah, I mean, I think you probably need a couple of things to be able to do this. You need to have uncovered some sort of insight in a market that you've become familiar with. Um, and then I guess be able to deliver that insight or that earned secret with some with conviction. Um, and you need to really believe yourself that there's a, a, a big opportunity there and be able to sell it to investors. So we did a lot of interviews with creators, a lot of phone calls, a lot of Zoom sessions to understand their pain points, the current products that they were using, what their needs were, their desires, um, so that I think definitely put us in a good position. Then I think some sort of background or expertise or, or credibility, mm-hmm. especially if it closely relates to the new venture or the, the new category that you want to go and build in really helps. So like Michelle and I having backgrounds in consumer social and having gone through the product development process um, at an early stage startup really helped with us, I think. Yeah. The flip side with Her Black Book is brought to you by the new Samsung Galaxy Z Fold 4 and Z Flip 4. It's time to unfold your world. Available now at samsung.com. And on the flip side to that, obviously, as Julie mentioned, we're now in a winter period. um, And I don't know whether or not you're looking at doing another raise anytime soon. But how have you found even having those conversations um, about a potential raise in this kind of climate? We aren't raising right now, and so we haven't been, like, super active with our um, investor conversations and meetings, and we probably need to ramp that up soon. So I can't say I have a really strong finger on the pulse of, like, how the the investor sentiment. I just know, like, whenever whenever I speak to one of our investors, I ask them, like, how many investments have you made recently? And I know it's really slowed down for most funds. Uh, you talked about having raised uh, your first round, which was from Venture Capital. So VC is, um, you know, it's it's a big achievement in itself. So as two female co-founders, 2% of Venture Capital goes to that combination, right? So congratulations on cutting through there and helping those numbers. Let's hope we see those rise. My question is, did both of you, you know, kind of partake in that project together, like building a pitch deck, going to every meeting? Like how many meetings did you have to go to to convert? You know, what was that whole capital raising process like? And did you only go to VC? Honestly, most of our first round was made up of angel investors. We had some funds participate, uh, but it was mostly angels who really believed in what we were building. We had some help from... I was in uh, the On Deck Fellowship, which was a, a fellowship for people who were on the cost of starting companies. And they were one of the first checks into Sunroom and they really wanted to see Sunroom funded. So they introduced us to a bunch of people in the Silicon Valley ecosystem, which definitely really helped us. Um, and then it's sort of this cool snowball effect. As soon as like somebody agrees to put a check in, they're like, okay, I'm going to mm-hmm. introduce you to this person, this person, this person. And then you do calls with them. Um, but typically I would do like a kick, like a first meeting call. And then if someone was interested, we'd loop in um, Michelle and Michelle would, yeah, pitch her part of 
the the venture which was like all about creators and the creators she had met and that she was going to bring on to launch with us. Speaking of creators, uh, Michelle, I just want to touch a little bit more on the community. How diverse is it and is it really for anyone? Yeah, it definitely is for, for I mean, I want to say yes. <laughs> But I mean, it's all about monetizing your audience. So like anyone can join Sunroom and anyone can support. On the creator side, we did start with a with a wait list and that was really so we could get the product right and kind of scale things up as our community grew. Mm-hmm. Now um, we just do a quick kind of identity type check on the, on the back end to make sure people are who they say they are and that they are a woman or non-binary creator. Um, so, you know, any kind of woman or non-binary creator could get on board. But in terms of then finding success, um, the product is to monetize the community that you've built. So if you're going to find success on Sunroom, you need to have an audience there who are willing and, you know, wanting to pay to support you or to connect with you more intimately. So that's kind of what we look for in creators is that they've got a bit of an audience there and that they've got, you know, a craft or, um, you know, something juicy that they can share with that audience and then they'll find success. Touching on your business model, you mentioned it's for women and non-binary people. Um, that's for the creators. Is that also for the audience? Anyone can um, download Sunroom and support, but we specifically built it for women and non-binary creators just because in all of our research, it's quite clear that they were the group that um, needed it most and would most often come up against inconsistent moderation and censorship online so that was kind of the dark side to all of our research to be honest every it was like every single conversation we had each creator had a story of you know when they would posted something that made them feel amazing but um you know they were trolled or they were judged Mm. or they showed a bit too much skin so their post was removed or they were really open about childbirth so they had their account they were deplatformed um and so the need was was really there for them um and that's kind of what we're seeing at the moment with the creators that are really successful on sunroom is it's quite clear what content they should post because it's the kind of content that um they have been i guess um unfairly like judged or moderated for sharing in the past so it needs a safe space to exist and a space with a little bit more freedom built into um the content moderation guidelines and things like that that is such a liberating and supportive environment it's such a wonderful thing you guys are doing and speaking of you know kind of protecting that dark side you also have technology which you've named which i love sunblock which protects people from having their content screenshotted right so tell us about that you know how did that come out was that there from the beginning from fairly early on like when we were doing all the initial customer discovery and creator discovery and all those conversations piracy and content leaks was a concern that came up over and over again and so we started poking around we were like oh what software could we maybe plug into the sunroom app to prevent screenshots and we were potentially going to use this integration that we found it didn't end up working so we were like okay, I think we have to build this ourselves. And at that point, we had pitched all of our founding creators and told them that we had this, we were going to build this incredible screenshot blocking. So we'd, And they loved it. They responded really, really well to it. Um, and that was ended up becoming one of our defining product hooks. 
we were like locked into building sunblock. <laughs> Just a little bit of pressure. Got, <laughs> a little bit. And as we got further and further into the process, like honestly, that was the reason why our launch was delayed by a couple of months because it unearthed like a whole slew of, of technical challenges that we had to figure out. Um, and the engineer who was responsible for building Sunblock, he's doing it for the first time. And he was like, yeah, learning all about this stuff for the first time. But we are glad we persisted and, and launched with it because most of our creators like really value it. And it makes them feel so much more comfortable just like sharing whatever they want, expressing themselves however they want uh, without fear of it getting all over the internet. Now, as a content creator platform, you have been compared to the big guns like Instagram and TikTok. Does that actually add any pressure to what you're doing? Michelle, maybe you want to answer It actually makes life harder. (laughs) It makes things much harder because people then think that we're a social network and that's been one of the the biggest challenges to to kind of overcome. And to Lucy's point earlier when we were talking about the changes we made Mm. to the discovery feed, we're not a social network. We're not here to help you go viral. We're not going to help you amass a huge following. We're really a vessel for creators to come along and use to monetize the audience that they've already built on on another platform. So if people think we're a social network, um, they'll probably be disappointed when they get on on Sunroom because they're not going to get given just all this engagement and all, and all these eyeballs. Yeah. So that's actually been um, a, a bit of a challenging comparison, to be honest. And when we've seen that come out in articles, sometimes like we've asked for it to be changed just because it's not true. Um, we are we do operate much more like an, an OnlyFans or a Patreon, and then you know we've of course got our um, unique differences to, to those platforms. Speaking of content creation, it sounds like you have come about this from really understanding a problem um, from the users. You did all of those interviews. You really understood that earned secret, as you mentioned, Lucy. Are you, however, yourselves prolific content creators and have you had to become, you know, like have you had to do it more just because you're in that space? Is it kind of product research? We've definitely had to become creators and I would not say prolific um, (laughs) in any way. Though Michelle is one of our highest earners on Sunroom, which is really impressive. Nice side Um, hustle. (laughs) But yeah, we, we really had to, I really believe you have to use the product that you're building to know how to build it right. Like there are so many things that Michelle and I uncover from using Sunroom every day and for like trying to get members and for sending them content and creating posts and navigating that whole experience. I don't, yeah, I don't think the product would be where it is today if we weren't like hardcore using Sunroom. And would you say that you're introverts or extroverts and does that have a difference to, you know, the percentage of content creators that make up most of these platforms? That's such an interesting question. I feel like Sunroom might almost lean itself to the introvert. Because it's a more protected environment? Mm. The the kind of the kinds of content on Sunroom that we're seeing right now really is more like personal, private, intimate. It's the stories that people really haven't shared anywhere else. So I think it would actually be a little bit more favorable to a to an introvert than an extrovert where like you are competing mm. with, I guess, the algorithm. Um, and you might not be able to just be yourself. Um, but I do think just putting yourself out there online in general is quite a hard thing to do. So um, it definitely requires like some confidence, courage, and it's not for the faint heart, I don't think. <laughs> Michelle, as one of the highest earners on Sunroom, tell me what type of content 
can people expect to see from you? What is this? What's the juicy stuff you're sharing? Mine is a real mixed bag. Like, am I going to go into all is it, this Is detail? it the gross girls? Um, Something from the gross girls, right? <laughs> it's actually, I save my grossness for TikTok. I, I think I might lose my male my male subscribers if I went full gross girl on, on but I don't know. Um, the gross girl is for the girls. Um, but on Sunroom, I share, like, my, kind of the stuff I post on my close friends. So like what I actually do on the weekend, like party scene stuff in LA. I also have a series called Career Confessions where every Monday I tell a story that like I would never share publicly about like what's actually gone on in my career, stuff I would never post on, on Instagram or TikTok. It's it's only really for the for like the close-knit type people that I actually trust. Like I, I feel like you really end up trusting the people that are – are paying to be there. Um, yeah, I also do get a little bit more sensual. I felt like I had to use the product in a way that our creators would use it. Mm. So if our creators, if, if we built this platform that makes our creators feel safe to share more skin, like I need, I need to show more skin as well. And I need to feel how that feels. So like, I've also got total full disclosure like topless photos of me just out on the weekend with my friends like being an absolute idiot um and just kind of embrace that side of myself as well which I don't think anyone would really expect and to be honest it's a really like powerful position to be in to be like sharing career confessions Mm. and the highs and lows of sunroom and mentoring women about business whilst also sharing my topless pics from the weekend and like chatting to guys that actually just want to like talk to a woman online and it's been a huge like it's been a really big learning experience and like a lot of personal growth as well to be honest in just using a platform like this so yeah mine's mine's a mixed bag but gross girls is exclusive to tiktok (laughs) (laughs) now just on the content if somebody did want to download and um obviously sign up and start creating content do they have to get their kit off or can they actually create content that is maybe just focused <laughs> on the career side of things? Let's say for me, if I sign up, do I have to get my kit off or can I leave my top on? You, you can absolutely leave can leave. You can leave. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you can absolutely leave it on. It's fascinating to me like how my income on Sunroom works. Like you might think that like maybe the topless stuff makes me the most money, but it's actually like a very even split for me in terms of um, making money from mentoring women on business and like also the the topless type stuff, which I'm quite proud of, to be honest. Like you can do custom experiences on Sunroom. Um, so yeah, I get like a 50-50 split of say me like chatting to men and me also mentoring mentoring women, but you absolutely like don't need to show every facet of your life you know you could just save it for the business stuff because I'm sure you would would get this all the time like people just dm you and they always want advice or mentoring or or coaching and it's nice to give that from time to time for free but it can also become really taxing Mm. and quite like emotionally draining and you can end up in these huge conversations where it gets to a point where you're like wow this is like years of my like knowledge and expertise that I just keep kind of giving out and so it's quite easy to just move that over to sunroom and I find that the 
the energy and like how it feels to converse with someone about those sorts of things really shifts once you know they've paid to be there and you really want to give your time and you know that they're respecting like your expertise and your time in return by paying to, to be there. One of the things that I love that, you know, just came out of what you shared there is that your platform really allows people to be multifaceted. You know, it doesn't kind of pigeonhole you into a content creator in this field, etc. You know, we all have different sides to us and they have, you know, value too. So being able to share all of that in one platform, I really love the sound of. Our friends at Moneybody have an exclusive offer for our listeners. From now until midnight Sunday, you can get 15% off when you shop through Her Black Book. To access a code, download the Her Black Book app now. You mentioned your career confessions, which I would like to delve into. And this is a bit where you kind of can plug some of your features here. Tell me how it works in more detail. As a creator, if you put something out there like that, can you, does it, does, is it evergreen or can you turn it off? Can you set it to disappear? How do you manage that in the long run? You can delete any post you want. Uh, we encourage creators to make most of their posts for their members only. So that's something they'll select when they go to make a post. You can offer parts of your post as a preview for free um, and then require some sort of unlocking, uh, like a one-off fee or a membership to unlock the rest of the post. But yeah, you're definitely not locked into having the content on the platform forever. I've certainly deleted posts that I changed my mind about or something like that. So you mentioned LA, Michelle. Now, I remember when you moved to LA and I was really, really excited for you because it feels like, you know, especially for Aussies, it feels a little bit like the tech dream moving to the US. There's obviously so many huge VCs there and, you know, there's, you know, some of the, some incredible companies around you in terms of inspiration, etc. Not to say that the Aussie scene hasn't been uh, very, very hot for the last, you know, decade or so. But tell us, how has that move been? Is it everything you dreamed of? Um, yeah, how do you feel about it? <laughs> LA is a very confronting place, to be honest. Um, I feel like it's a, a place of extremes, you know, extreme glamour on one side, but also pretty extreme poverty on the other side. It's it's kind of shocked me as a place. Um, I think America is an interesting <laughs> place in, in general right now. So genuinely, like, it was much more of a culture shock than I thought. I'd been here a lot for work and I didn't think I would struggle to adjust that much, but um, I actually did. And I think it was also a, a product of Sunroom. It, it took us longer than we thought to, to launch. So I think Lucy and I probably both really battled personally a little bit through 2021 and we call it um, now, you know, the trough of sorrow. There's a, a startup graph that we refer to a lot, which basically is like a trend line of all the different waves and phases of a startup's life that you go through. And we were definitely in the trough of sorrow through 2021 with, um yeah, things just like, it, it felt hard to be honest. And I, I felt like my, things in my career had come quite easily to me before. And then doing Sunroom, it just felt so hard all of a sudden. Um, and my career has been like the main kind of channel of my life that I kind of anchor most of my emotions around, which may or may not be a good thing. So I think that, yeah, just Sunroom taking longer, being in the trough of sorrow, adjusting to this new place. I'm yeah, not going to sugarcoat it. It was actually really challenging. Um, but I kind of feel like if life's a game, LA honestly feels like one of the hardest levels to play. So if we can, you know, make this work mm. and continue to survive, like we'll be exceptionally proud and we will have done something, you know, pretty huge. 
I think that's um, one thing that so many people love about the two of you is the fact that you are so vulnerable and open about sharing the journey of a startup life and that you don't just show the, the highs and the glamour of it all, but you're really open and honest about how hard it actually can be. So um, huge kudos to both of you. Tell us what is next for Sunroom? Uh, I mean, there's a couple of levels we can enter on the on the on the product front. We are very close to launching Sunroom Web, which will mean that anyone who owns an Android or anybody who doesn't want to download a mobile app can easily access Sunroom. Woo! We are really excited. excited about that one. We are Android lovers, <laughs> so we cannot wait for that. <laughs> Hopefully, later this week, we're going to be releasing a feature that internally we're calling questions, although I think we could probably do a little bit better. <laughs> um, we, yeah. we, we already in the app have an ability for members and other people on Sunum to submit questions to creators that they then answer in a post. And we saw that, that we would use it internally as a team really frequently. Like we would go and ask our creators a bunch of interesting questions that we thought would create really cool content. And we saw that they would answer them and that they loved answering them. I think it just takes the think out of having to create content and having to feel inspired and, and know what your audience want if they just, there's a question there for you. So we are building that out a little bit more, uh, bringing questions to the surface a little bit more for creators. And we are building a daily question that comes from Sunroom. So last week, we did a big brainstorm and we came up with like the spiciest, juiciest, most intriguing, thought-provoking questions that we could ask our creators. And so every day there's going to be a daily question that a creator will have 24 hours to answer in a post. And we're really excited about it. That is so cool because I'm a little bit OCD and I'm sure there are many people out there who are just like, you can't miss the daily question, you know? So it's kind of, it's got a little bit of gamification <laughs> yeah. in it too. Like, a, you know, you want to keep your streak going. Like yeah. I've answered the daily question every day for a month. I'm not missing out on tomorrow. Um, but it's your wedding day. I don't care. Wait, that's daily a question. really great, that's a great build. <laughs> right? There you go. That's an actually, that's a great build, Julie. We seriously should do that. Yes. Yeah. You're welcome. I love yeah. a streak. Who doesn't love <laughs> well, we are super, super excited about what you guys are building. As we said, like you're building something which is a safe place for women, non-binary creators um, to, you know, monetize the value that they are so full of. So we are cheerleading you from behind the scenes and we can't wait for you to launch on the web. We are going to be on there um, subscribing. Before we wrap up, we have just a couple of quick fire questions. Michelle, celebrity crush. Oh, Ben Affleck. <laughs> nice. Lucy, your go-to karaoke song. Oh, I actually really dislike karaoke. <laughs> the answer is nil. <laughs> um, Michelle, last thing that you Googled. Ooh, oh, my God. It would have been something Love Island related. Okay, I know what it would have been. Who does Amber end up with? Does Yeah, who does Amber end up with? Season 5, Love Island UK. <laughs> Lucy, what is your most controversial opinion? I mean, I don't know how controversial it is anymore, but I don't believe in monogamy. Ooh. And I, 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 think, uh, I think humans are designed to be polyamorous. I feel like that's a whole nother podcast. <laughs> what are you doing for the next hour? No, wait. Yeah. I, I feel like that is a download the Sunroom app, subscribe to Lucy, and I'm sure you share Ask more detail question. on that, right? Yes. I Love do. it. <laughs> Love it. Absolutely. 
Okay, Michelle, if you could have a mentoring session with anyone in the entire world, who would it be? Probably um, uh, Phil Knight, the CEO and founder of Nike. Yeah, very cool. That would be amazing. Lucy, same question to you. Who would you have a mentoring session with? Mm, Might be Alex Zhu, the founder of Musical.ly before it became TikTok. Um, He's just so fascinating. I feel like I've learned a lot from him. And final question for you both. If you had to get a tattoo today, what would it be? The Sunroom logo, duh. Yes! (laughs) (laughs) Lucy, are you as committed as Michelle? (laughs) No, my first thought was a little, like, beautiful aesthetic blackberry bundle. I'm obsessed with blackberries and it's like I grew up on a farm and it's like a childhood memory of of living on a farm. I feel like she's actually pretty close to getting this tattoo. She's thought about this. (laughs) Yeah, I have. (laughs) Okay, Michelle, Lucy, thank you so much for being our guest today. You're both phenomenal talents with incredible backgrounds, building an incredible platform which we are huge supporters of. I cannot wait for you to launch your web version. As Android fans, we are going to be on there and subscribing and sending you daily questions and participating in that streak of course absolutely thanks for having us that wraps up this episode of the flip side with her black book powered by samsung galaxy and presented by pop sugar australia don't forget to download the her black book app to discover more from your favorite brands thanks so much for tuning in